Well, welcome, my good friends, to this little radio program and podcast and video cast and vlog and all the other things that I guess we are on some level or not. Smoking and toasting. A few hats there. It's smoking and toasting. It's show number one hundred and thirty-four. And welcome to it. We are brought to you by B and B Butchers and Restaurant at eighteen fourteen Washington Ave in Houston, in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, and by B and B Lemon directly across the street from the Houston location, which is where we were live uh, last week. And had, I really, I really enjoyed that Absolute show. Absolute blast. Uh, that was uh, that was fun doing the Absolutely. cocktails. Uh, thanks to our uh, guest last week, Chastity, who's the head bartender in charge, and uh, she was uh, kind enough to bring us. Some wonderful libations, which we enjoyed. So. Also, not even shy on camera. No, she which was, was great. Yep, <laughs> she yep, was awesome. Yep. She's like, I'm like, I can make this at home, can't I? And she's like, no, no. no you can't. <laughs> this one you <laughs> so, got to practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so welcome to show number 134. Our guest in the studio this week, uh, Jared from um, uh, from Balcones Whiskey. Jared, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's so nice to have you on the show, and we're really excited. Now, I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but... We had planned to have you on earlier, and yeah. uh, and you were um, you wound up in the wrong city. <laughs> yeah, don't don't let your don't let your calendar automatically put stuff in from email. <laughs> I was telling him earlier. I don't know if there was a period where there should have been a comma, right? Where it didn't read the whole address, but yeah. But it sent you to Dallas. When I our was studio in the gallery in Dallas. Yeah. So thirty minutes before air, and yeah. I was five hours away instead uh, of instead so, of in the parking lot. Well, so. you know. Uh, Stuff happens, you yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> it does. Well, we're glad to we could get you rescheduled and get you in here because, well, first of all, the reputation that precedes you in terms of the quality of your uh, spirits is, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people talking about Balconies. You guys are really, uh, uh, as, and we'll talk Texas whiskey in general yeah. and your whiskey specifically, but there's there's a lot of positive buzz around what you guys are doing right now. And I'm sure you're feeling it and hearing it. And, yeah. and uh, it's got to be, yeah, it's got to be something that makes you feel good after you kind of pour your heart and soul into getting something off the ground. And, mm-hmm. and then people start going, hey, this is not just good. This is really good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's exciting. It's yeah. fun to get that so kind of uh, positive thing. response yeah. back. You know? So Awesome. So we'll be talking whiskey. I noticed that you brought a couple of uh, different things for us to sample yep. and taste here, so we're I excited like about that. It looks like there's a rye. There's a That's a cask strength rye. There's a Texas bourbon, and there's a Texas single malt. So we'll let you tell us about all of yep. those uh, as we go, and we'll mm-hmm. look forward to, to doing some tasting. Plus, we're tasting beers today, uh, which should come as no great surprise, since that's something we seem to do quite often. Here on the I'm for it. Yeah. Um, I am so excited about this. In We're seeing, as craft beer matures, we're seeing the categories that it's reaching out and touching get so much bigger and mm-hmm. so much so much broader. Uh, Real Ale, who do the Fireman's Four, which is a wonderful, wonderful beer, have now released Fireman's Light. And I, I have to look at what the calories are, but it's only like five and a half carbs. It's like it's it's definitely something that will compete from a calorie and right, carbohydrate right. standpoint with the mass produced um, uh, light beers on the market. The ultras and so, whatnot. Right. So right. we'll see how it we'll see how it competes in terms of taste because I mean Fireman's Four is a tasty but I, beer. It doesn't really matter how it tastes. Do they have a cold activated? Or a, a cooler <laughs> yeah. infused you know, six pack. Or I, I, a, I hadn't I mean, noticed. Come on, they I have a noticed. vortex neck on it. Yeah, but uh, like I, things that make beer matter. You know, and I, I admit, I have not done proper <laughs> research for the show because I also haven't checked to see if they have an ingredients label. 
Are they the, uh, like the official beer of somebody? I don't know. Like, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah. Like that's always yeah, sports always, team. Yeah, always <laughs> thought. Yeah, always thought if I had a a, a, a you know a, a product like that, I'd love to be the the official beer of, and then be like some you know you know the uh, you know. The curling team or something. The, the, right? Yeah, the, the Friendswood Bridge team or something. You <laughs> yeah. know, just just something. You know, really... the one that always cracked me up was Acme was the official brick of the NFL. Oh yeah, especially <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys. Like for all the building they did. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Hilarious. The official like, brick. What? The official brick. In which brick should I buy yeah. for this brick wall I'm making? Well, you know, <laughs> since you're a Cowboys fan, it should be yeah, Acme. The, the Acme brick. Like, the official clips, brick. Staples. Do they have, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that just legal pads. You, that just shows you what a good salesman Jerry Jones is. That's all right. that shows you. So, uh, so uh, real ale, Fireman's Light will be sampled on the program today. Oh yeah. Now cool. the next one, um, uh, Ian was was hipping me to this just before the show. I realized we've had it on the show before, but I was thinking that you hadn't tasted it. Mm. Um, it is something that we had on the show for the first time when Chris Hart was uh, helping out one of the shows where you were on mm-hmm. assignment. And uh, he brought in the Parish Brewing Ghost in the Machine uh, double IPA. And what was interesting about it is he, he put it in the freezer here at the uh, studio and it like froze solid. So we mm-hmm. had this frozen and it was still absolutely it was, it delicious. Was a, <laughs> it was a double IPA yeah. slushy. Yeah, that's right. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> delicious. So what I didn't realize, though, is that he brought it back on another show, mm-hmm. uh, and you've actually had it. So we'll taste it again, because there's reason enough to do that since it is now actually available outside of Louisiana. Yes, they have uh, the distribution so, here now, which makes it right. very heavy. First, uh, it used to be you had to you know go across the state line if you were mm-hmm. in Texas to go and get it. Now you can uh, now you can find it at your local beertorium. So, uh, so that's good. Now, this one I'm pretty sure you haven't had, Ian. It's uh, from Barrel of Monks Brewing. They're out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's Delilah, their coffee-infused double, and it comes in one of those big bombers with the wax around the top. You know, that so, sounds awesome. So yeah, it just it looks awesome. Wait till I show you the bottle; you'll be like, "Oh yeah, this uh, <laughs> this is this is going to be good." So, and of course, we'll be tasting Balcones whiskey. So we're excited about that. There's also a few things going on uh, in the world of uh, of spirits and cigar news and and beer news. Uh, we have a list that has been released. Of the best craft beer cities in the world, we'll give you the top 25. The best cities for craft beer in the world. So th- looking forward to that. Uh, also, Sammy Hagar has a new tequila. And uh, Senator Marco Rubio led a congressional hearing last week on premium cigars. I think it's the first time that's ever hmm. actually been a thing. Uh, but it's very interesting. So we'll tell you a little bit about all of that. And we'll do some great tasting. And uh, it's been uh, a wild and crazy week. But I'm wondering, Ian, if you had a chance to uh, smoke anything interesting this week. I did. Um, I make a habit uh, out of uh, having a cigar while I'm in traffic. Mm-hmm. So when your vehicle has over 200,000 miles on it and you have a sunroof, who cares? You right. know? <laughs> <laughs> so. Nobody's getting in your vehicle going, yeah. I think it smells it's, like smoke. It's not yeah. devaluing my vehicle <laughs> yeah. at this point. That's so. <laughs> good. That's good. So uh, no, it's it's fun. I throw the uh, sunroof back and and start up a cigar on my way home because it's usually about an hour, hour fifteen. Oh, so if I got a decent sized cigar, that's a decent. It's 
it, it let a, me that and an iced tea make the ride home way way. And back. that's a fairly typical Houston commute, by the way, for those who yes. are uh, listening from other I locations. I think it was an so, Onion so. article about Houston that actually stated that Houston is actually an hour away from Houston. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's so. true. I do know that you can get in your car in Houston and drive for an hour and, and very easily still be in Houston. Yeah, yeah, so not even like on the fringes necessarily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah hour and a half commute, and you live yeah. like two point two miles. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So yeah. So uh, so one of the cigars that I, well the cigar that I'm decided to review today um, actually came from one of those commutes I started up. It's been sitting in my humidor for a while. I don't even know where I got it. Uh, frankly, uh, I could have gotten it as far back as the uh, as the uh, the, boom? the big smoke. Oh, okay. Yeah. The big I, I have no base. idea yeah. how it ended up in my humidor, but it's been in there for a long time, and I've been ignoring it because it's a Gurkha. Oh. Now we've been having. We've been Gurkha having- bashing sessions, but not necessarily intentional. We've tried to give well, them- but we've, in fairness, we've also given some very good reviews to some Gurkhas too. So, so, uh, so, and you had the Gurkha a couple weeks back. You're like, I'm gonna give them a try again. The exploding cigar. The exploding yes. cigar. <laughs> it was like it was like you that know on the cartoons. Awesome. You know on the cartoons where they light the cigar and the guy puffs on pow. it and he goes pow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that one was like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I'm hoping you had better results. Um. So I had uh, Gurkha Marquesa. Okay. Okay. This is. Uh, I, I was looking up just general reviews. This is after I smoked cigar. Just looking up general reviews and information. There's some information out there. Um, it's a pretty cigar. It's got a great uh, traditional looking um, uh, uh, label on it. Um, it forget always- the pictures. I was actually driving and or at stop, probably at stoplights, not yeah. actually driving uh, when I took the pictures. <laughs> right. So if you're watching this, <laughs> that's what that's what's going on there. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, so. Uh, I, I lit this cigar up. Uh, this is supposed to be, it came out in 2018, I think. Or um, Anyway, I, there's there's some information about it online, but um, there's very, very few reviews. Interesting. Like, very, even like, even like Half Wheel just says, oh, this cigar is coming out, here's the information about it. There's mm-hmm. no real reviews. Interesting. Um, out there. And, uh, and that so could be a I good thought, sign or well, a bad that's sign. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, this is post. I looked at this after I okay. smoked the cigar okay. and already formed all my opinions about it. So I lit this cigar. Uh, I used a, a punch, and the draw was a little tight, so I went ahead and snipped the end, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is fine. And the draw was really nice at that point in time. Good, okay? good. Yeah. The, the, the appearance of the cigar was really pretty. It's, a, it's a, on the lighter brown side, uh, very smooth, uh, mm-hmm. pretty wrapper, um, just pretty-looking cigar, you know, like what you, what you expect. Um, so I, I had a decent draw on it. The pre-light... Um, the pre-light uh, draw on this gave me flavors like kind of traditional, kind of earthy flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so actually, I was I was kind of looking forward to a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, grass uh, or hay, almost like you know mm-hmm. um, that sort of tobaccoy, right, right, uh, kind of traditional mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh, flavors. Um, so I lit it up and immediately felt like uh, a, an angry peppery cat was let loose on my tongue <laughs> really yes i mean pepper bomb it, from the start <laughs> i mean it was harsh really like, it wasn't just a pepper bomb it was harsh i was like what has gone on with this cigar so not like oh wow this is peppery but like ooh. no like it was angry at my tongue okay like, this was this was an angry harshness and i thought well, okay i'm gonna give this you know at least a half an inch and hope that it settles down and it did it, it okay. got less angry it never got <laughs> complacent, but it definitely got a little less angry. Um, at which point in time, some of the other flavors started coming through, and I was actually kind of wishing that that cat was back because some of the flavors in this cigar, like, okay, so the vegetal 
Yes. Yeah, okay, so one of the flavors I got out of this was, you know how it smells when your lettuce gets a little past wilty? Oh, oh, I hate that smell. Ugh. Yeah, this is one of the flavors mm. I had. And, I, and honest, I was in my car going, okay, I'm trying to enjoy this cigar on my home. And, uh, and I'm talking to my wife, and I'm explaining to her, and she's just laughing at me. I said, I'm probably going to put this cigar out. And I thought, no, no, this is going to have to be a review. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and call this a review. Wow. So uh, so that was the next prominent flavor that came up. Um, the wilted lettuce. The wilted vegetal lettuce rotty kind of thing going on in it. Wow. Um, and then the angry pepper, um, which in some cases is okay, but not in this case. It was just harsh. It was, and uh, But the cigar burned beautiful. Oh, well, that's good to know that they can actually pull that off. Uh, so the first third of the cigar... Much the same flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the pepper settled down a little bit. You didn't eat anything weird like before you no, smoked. No, actually, it, did you? I had lunch uh, many hours before. The only mm-hmm. thing I had had up to that point was iced tea, and um, yeah, I think that's it. Mm. Like, I mean, this this was probably a five or five thirty. My lunch was mm. at you know like eleven or twelve. So I mean, there was a lot of time. I didn't have any you know didn't put any weird things in my mouth that I know of. Mm. So. Uh, uh, and then um, the next third of the cigar, again, burned perfectly. Burn and draw was perfect. Uh, the next uh, uh, third of the cigar, uh, the flavors were developing into just a kind of a weird, dark, mildewy kind of thing. Wow. These, are, these are not flavors. No, these are not no good flavors. Cheer. And I yeah. couldn't believe it. Like, I actually really wanted to put this cigar out, but I thought, okay, I'm going to take this one for the team. I'm going to stick this cigar out. Um... Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and skip the gory details in the middle third of this. When I get to the last third of this, well, the vegetal rot comes back, and then the angry cat comes back. Remember, I said I kind of yeah, wish you kind of wanted back. it, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it just it got harsh, it got rough. Maybe I got an abused cigar. I don't know what happened. But here's the hilarious <laughs> thing: all the way the down burn. to the end, look at that last picture. That cigar the burn, burn was perfect. Perfect. Wow. Yeah, uh, so I, I it's, it gets low. I'm sorry, uh, it gets for the burn. Uh, I'll give it uh, a three, but for the flavor and everything, I have no idea what I even paid for this. If I paid six dollars, it was too much. Yeah, um, yeah, it was just not a good. It was not a good cigar. So and with Gurkhas, they could be more. Yeah, and, you know? and here's the funny thing is I've never really complained about flavor of, uh, of a Gurkha. I've complained about construction of Gurkha, and this was well, the this first is one the I flip had side. Yeah. Just, Man. Well, I'd just like to mention this to our uh, to our uh, reviewer. Uh, ooh, I've read one third of his review, but in the third that I read, he said that, that we liked everything we tried. You know, here we go again. This is not something that we're not praising this cigar. No, not, not when so. you say moldy no, no. Uh, old lettuce. It's, you know, that's just not praise at all. Notes of carpet mold and. Well, I have to tell you, Ian, I'm I'm. Uh, uh, I find that really interesting, and I, I still don't know what to think of the Gurkha dilemma because clearly these guys are struggling on some level. You know, uh, if they manage to get the cigar to burn right, uh, it's not—it's uh, not what you. I, I don't know. But there, we have had good Gurkhas, in fairness, but mm-hmm. I can't think of another brand that has as consistently disappointed us now. that we've actually tried a number of different. Uh, a number of different things, and you know what? I'm I'm pretty hard to disappoint. Like cigar good is sort of the mm-hmm. the general uh, the general watchword. Well, I am happy to weigh in that uh, I had a slightly better 
uh, cigar experience. This is good to know. Uh, and it wasn't the week. same cigar, yeah. was it? Yeah, no, it wasn't. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, uh, no. I tried the Tachuaje uh, Nuevitas Robusto. Nuevitas. Uh, I think I'm saying it right. It's N U E V I T A S. A really pretty robusto. Had a had a few uh, veins, but just just looked. Deli- you know when a cigar just looks delicious. Mm-hmm. You know, you just look at it and go. Oh, I can't wait to smoke yeah, yeah. you. Yeah. Um, it had an orange and white band on it, which is different. From, you know, Tatuai usually has just that little uh, brown, you know, very mm-hmm. thin uh, band around it. But this had a more traditional cigar band. was orange and white. Uh, pre-light was earthy, rich tobacco. This cigar is a Nicaraguan Puro, so it's got all Nicaraguan tobacco in it. And the wrapper was a Nicaraguan-grown Corojo 99. And I uh, used a V-cut. I was on my way. It lit and burned pretty much perfectly uh, from the very beginning. There were nights, uh, nice notes of pepper early on. Uh, definitely not an angry pepper cat, uh, but but just you know, nice nice pepper to open it up with. And then that kind of gave way to an awesome note of woodiness. About a third of the way in, into the cigar, I began to detect the slight hint of. Andalusian hazelnuts grown organically under cheesecloth in the western regions of South Africa and harvested before the first storm of the rainy season. That is oddly specific. Mm. Yeah, and, I, and I'm actually just <laughs> full of it. I just, but I do occasionally read reviews that are that full of crap, you know? That was awesome. <laughs> no, but it was, I will, there really was a nice nuttiness to it, but I, I don't know that I could tell you. Maybe cashews? I don't know. Uh, anyway, it lasted through the rest of the cigar. was extremely pleasant. I found it to be medium full, nice amount of uh, complexity to it, especially uh, once I got into the second, uh, third, or so of the cigar, and it burned perfectly. So, uh, love it. It's an $89 cigar. Price to quality, I'll give it a five and a half. If this were a $6 cigar, I'd have been elated and given an, an even higher uh, number. But, uh, but yeah, I'll give it a five and a half. And, uh, Jared, the way our... Um the way our rating scale works is that a five means you got exactly what you pay for. So a five and a half is like, yeah, you know what? If it had been if it had been ten bucks, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been upset. So there you go, uh, five and a half. So uh, that's the Tatuaje uh, Nuevitas N U E V I T A S. Good cigar. Good cigar. Awesome. So yeah. sounds uh, like your uh, experience was a little better than that. Well, and and you know, I, I think I actually had it coming because there's been weeks where you smoked the greatest cigar ever, and the mine was terrible. So, um, well, I actually was going to put mine out, and I thought I'm using it for a review. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna stick it. Taking it. one for the team. I like it. <laughs> I, I like it. All right, I'm excited about beginning to uh, do some balconies tasting here, so we're going to do that uh, coming up in our next segment. Plus this uh, real ale. Fireman's Light. I'm very anxious to uh, pop the top on this. And by the way, I just wanted to point this out. It's been a long time since this happened. All of the beers that we have are testing on the show today all came as God intended them to be in bottles. Oh, you're so wrong. Uh, yeah, I know. This is this you're is so a wrong. this is a tug of war for me. So they're going to be colder. They're going to be more refreshing and delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I just don't like. I, I just prefer bottles. It's just me. Could be UV corruption. Could be. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to doubt it very seriously. But uh, <laughs> but we'll we'll uh, we'll try them out here momentarily. And uh, thanks for coming along. We have uh, Jared from Balconies Whiskey in the studio. We'll talk Texas whiskey and balconies uh, coming up next. You're checking out smoking and toasting.
Welcome back, my friends. It is Smoking and Toasting, and we are doing show number 134 this week. Uh, Balcones Whiskey in the studio, plus we'll be talking about the best craft beer cities in the world. Ian has actually uh, put his glasses on to take a look at the uh, uh, Fireman's uh, Fireman's 4. It's it's Fireman's Light is actually the name of the beer. But it has the 4 emblazoned on there, uh, which makes it look like... A lighter version of the Fireman's Four, which turns well, think, turns blue when it's really cold. Yeah, that's, that's four. <laughs> yeah. That cold that's how you activated. know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do love beer gimmicks, though. And my favorite of all time was the Vortex bottle. Like somehow the beer tastes better if it goes swirly, swirly, the swirly. The best part is the Vortex bottle was the short neck version. Yes, so. and and it didn't even really work. Like, no, like you would it try didn't. to pour it, it would just kind of pour straight out. Of course it didn't. It was going through an inch and a half of neck right. that was so lightly, uh, uh, what do they call that? Tapered, contoured, uh, no, there's a word spiraled. Yeah, there's, there's a word for it. I can't think of what it is. <laughs> well, we're going to uh, open up the segment here by uh, doing a little beer tasting. And uh, uh, Jared Hemsed from uh, Balcones is with us today, and we will be tasting some whiskey. But first, some Fireman's Light uh, from the folks at Real ale, Jared. You were mentioning in the break you actually have had a chance to uh, to taste this at a, a beer festival. Is that right? Yeah, um, yeah. The Dancing Bear Pub in uh, Waco, Texas, mm-hmm. which me and a buddy opened to put 11, 12 years ago, um, before I started distilling, uh, has a has this Texas Craft Beer Festival every year. It just happened last weekend, and uh, Elazar is a guy who used to be one of our distillers who now works for Real Spirits because they have their they're starting to make right, whiskey they're starting to do whiskey and stuff. Yes, um, but he was there pouring pouring this and he uh, brought some of this yeah. uh for so you've had a chance to taste this and you know i i love fireman's four it's one of those beers that like oh, if solid you're, if you're out to dinner you're always thrilled to see it on the mm-hmm. on the menu you know what i mean it's a uh, it's just a really solid and fireman's four is a blonde ale correct uh, uh well see i always get confused between blondes and ambers but i think you're right i think it's a blonde yeah uh, this is Oh, I'm mm. sorry. I'm already doing research. Mm-hmm. Um, can I pipe in on this? Please do. This is almost too light. This might be one of the latest beers I've ever actually liked. Liked. Okay. Because yes. I was going to say, it's definitely not as light as like a Michelob Ultra. No, it's got more flavor than that. What's interesting about it, too, is um, it's not. It's It's got a little viscosity to it as well. Yeah, it does. Um, which is, again... So it's got a little fuller mouthfeel than you would expect from any any macro brew whatsoever well generally speaking the lighter beers get the thinner the mouthfeel so um you can so i'm a little surprised by actually the little bit bigger mouthfeel on this how do you feel about the flavor i i think it's quite I good i think the flavor is really nice it's very mm-hmm. light yes uh it's, this it's, is this is crisp refreshing if it came in cans i would probably love it okay stop <laughs> <laughs> It probably does, by the way. I, I, just, I know. I just, just happened to buy the bottles, but uh, uh, no, this is this is crisp did, and delicious. Did uh, we show the bottle to the camera? No, I will. All right, uh, Let me cover so up that's, my face there. That's fireman's light. Put it on the beer rotating mechanism. And we noticed. Uh, thank you. It's it's amazing how we have the technology to do that. Uh, we noticed that the uh, uh, during the break that it's five point five carbs per uh, it's bottle, four percent alcohol, and one hundred and ten calories. Five point five carbs, one hundred and ten calories. They actually have the uh, nutritional value on a lot of this on here. Mm-hmm. That's uh, kind of like having an ingredients label, isn't it's, uh, it? Let's see. Average analysis per 12 fluid ounces, calories 110, carbs 5.5, protein 1. You're getting a little protein with this one, Grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fat 0. Also, it has a best before date. 
Yeah, which makes sense. It's not for, boring on, but it's drinking beforehand. Yeah, but, but it does make sense with this style of beer. You would definitely want it fresh. So yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of the lighter beers you don't want to drink. Jared, what uh, what type of beer do you uh, enjoy? Do you have sort of a favorite in the in the beer spectrum? Uh, a little bit of everything. I, we were talking right before the show, though. Uh, it's kind of fun, and maybe it's an age thing mm-hmm. where uh, beers kind of become part of lifestyle, mm-hmm. where there's a mm-hmm. certain volume necessary, <laughs> and so it's been really fun to see sessionable stuff and pilsners and yes. things like that kind of coming back around. We're seeing um, a lot of it. And I, I would assume. We'll continue to see more as we mm-hmm. inch toward the yeah. summer, but we're seeing more, I think, this year than we've seen before. Well, I, I mean, think I think things go in circles. So you know, for a lot of years, especially with the homogenization of the entire beer culture, for a lot of years, lagers were the thing, yeah. right? And so when craft beer came around, it was anti-lager. It, w- it was yeah. very ale ale leaning, for yeah. sure. Yeah, very anti-lager. And now it's come back around to go. You know what? Not only can we do that, we can do it better. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and we we can make it. We can make well, a beer like that that's very sessional. It's very interesting. So what, what I find interesting about this is that um, now that you've got, you know, and we've talked about this beer quite a bit, and now that you've got the Lagunitas Daytime IPA, yeah. which is fewer calories than a Bud Light. 98 um, calories yeah, and it's, four, and, and it's, in the 4% range. Yep, and, and it's absolutely delicious. But what I like about this is sometimes you have people – over or you're having a party or whatever, and they're just not IPA people. They don't, they're not really looking for something quite that hoppy, but they still want flavor. Yeah. And this, I think, fills the yeah. bill for that very, very nicely. Yeah, and I don't know if it's the exact same recipe or if they modified it much, but I feel like compared to regular Fireman's, the the hops are a little more exposed at this ABV for some reason. So yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's got a little more bite to it than, well, than regular Fireman's. The malt bill has to be a lot, a lot smaller on yeah. this. Yeah. And in order for it to be less calories, right, and, right, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, but I, that's, I'm for it. I think I, it's good. I think, I think, yeah, I think it's a, a triumph. I, I think, think it's a light beer with a delicate flavor, but it's a good delicate flavor if that makes sense. So it's interesting to see because you know, uh, two years ago, uh, the trend uh, as the summer came around seemed to be the more sessionable IPAs, mm-hmm. like the uh, Founders All Day IPA. Uh, and then last year, it was all about the um, the goza and the well the, the goza and the sours and the juicy and, and hazy oh, yeah, yeah, IPAs juicy all yeah. all were the big trends last summer. This summer, it seems to be the lighter beers, mm-hmm. the yeah. combination of of the different ones that we've talked about. And I have a feeling we're going to continue to see uh, to see more of these. So well, and as we were chatting before the uh, before the show too, last time I was in Austin, um, when I was going to go float down the river and stuff like that, we were picking up beer in austin and uh they actually have a beer i can't remember what brand it is but it's called river beer and it's like a three (laughs) perfect something percent and Mm -hmm. it's you know meant to be like like a lot more sessionable like this and and uh we're talking about the (laughs) he mentioned the old guy experience you know all the all the college kids are running down there and acting crazy and drinking the high percentage (laughs) beers and you know we're drinking the sessionable things because we're going to be there for hours (laughs) that's right (laughs) if you're floating down the river yeah you, you that's that's not the time to go for your Belgian double. Uh, <laughs> that's right. You know, that's that, yeah, that th- these days they're handing out PIs too, right? Yeah. When people get off the river, yeah, so. yeah. yeah. You got to learn the art of misdirection and yeah. make sure the cops are paying attention. Right. So, to so that's really interesting. Like as people come right off mm. the river before they're 
Like even even close to where they, they, they have were, a checkpoint in the river where the cops are standing really? there knee high. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Or knee deep. Yeah. You can tell I haven't floated down the river. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, Jared, thank you for coming on the show yeah. today. We we really appreciate it. Uh, Balcones, you're located in in Waco, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So tell us, uh, is Waco just where you're from? Was it where you decided to uh, was the perfect place to launch a distillery? Why Waco? It's just where we were. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, people have asked. It's a very simple answer. Why not yeah. Austin? Why not this? Wherever it's like, well, that's this, where, this, that's this where you where live. I we live. live there, so that's where we started making whiskey. Yeah. That makes it all this <laughs> makes all the sense in the world. Um, what was uh, what, you mentioned earlier in the show that you were, were the owner of a, a pub or a bar? Um, was that was that what kind of nudged you in the direction of? Of deciding to distill your own spirit? Yeah, I was just the GM. I wasn't an owner. But, okay, uh, gotcha. We had a long-standing homebrew club uh, mm-hmm. in Waco and uh, pretty active. And both both the distillery kind of came out of that group as well as this this bar that still mm-hmm. still works in Waco. Um, but, yeah, I was in a nonprofit job, was brewing a lot. One of the guys was like, hey, I'm gonna, let's open a craft beer bar, and this is 12 years ago for Waco. It was a little ahead of its time. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, we had talked about brewing there, doing a brew pub, and he asked if I'd considered leaving my job to come do that. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I was ready, I was ready to make something. Um, I wasn't actually drinking a lot of whiskey at that point. Um, and uh, we got open. Uh, we, had, we knew we had to do a lot of education because uh, the, the market wasn't really there. So we knew we mm-hmm. had to like, kind of create it mm-hmm. by... I mean, we we did every month. We were either doing a vertical of like a whole brand. Like I remember, we did. I think we did an Avery one early on, where it's like everything you could get from one brewery, mm-hmm. or we do every triple you could get, whatever it was, and right, uh, right. try to walk people through and get them excited um, about what we were trying to. So sell them. obviously, you've got a big college we're just introducing people yeah. to different flavors. Yeah, yeah. makes uh, a big and difference. And you can see people's brains explode and their eyes get huge when they go i didn't know beer could taste like this that's always a fun moment right right no it's absolutely true when you go wow you know that's that's a great moment to see that on somebody's face Mm -hmm. obviously you've got a big college contingency there so i would assume that that would that would make them early adopters of something uh like this huh yeah it's a yeah it's 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 baylor so it's a college (laughs) it's a big college but it's also uh you know the the joke about you know, you always take at least two Baptists with you fishing because mm-hmm. if you just take one they'll drink all your beer if you take two they neither one of them will touch it <laughs> so there's, that's good there's been plenty of drinking going on yeah yeah at uh, in Waco at the college but uh, it's you, a lot of it's under wraps you, you know? know why uh, Baptists don't make love standing up right yep, yeah was it might might be the dancing yeah people might around. think they're dancing yes so uh, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, things you got to be careful yeah careful so of. I grew up Baptist so yeah. I can tell Baptist yeah. jokes <laughs> so. Um, so when did you uh, come up with the idea then to become a distiller? So yeah, um, so we're selling all this beer, and I had a friend who had lived in Oxford for a while, going to school. Uh, and beer guys and whiskey guy, it, guys that like both, were always coming in, like especially single malt, which mm-hmm. recipe wise is way closer to beer. Like, oh well, you've got to like single malt then, and I just kind of never did. Um, and it was until one of my buddies was like, well, have you ever ha- had much Isla stuff? And I hadn't. And uh, we were at a bar that had probably about five different uh, I repeated expressions. And uh, it was our bag 10 was the first one. Mm, that's <laughs> And beady. it was kind of like, Yeah, what? you're talking Ian's language. But yeah. I kind of went the backwards because I've heard, you know, that that's kind of like you kind of grow into those. That's, those, yeah, that's, those, those end up being later life. Shoes, yeah. yeah. And it was the opposite. I was like, wait, is, is there more the of this? Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just started devouring. And once again, we're talking 11, 12 years ago that 
and it's Waco. So there's not mm -hmm. like a ton of stuff uh -huh. on the shelf at the time. Uh, but yeah, we started spending a little money we had to to investigate just every bottle we could find. Wow. Um, and they kind of backdoored from those into uh, uh, a was the first like kind of overproof mm -hmm. kind of bigger, which then when I started finding like uh, antique collection bourbons that were also of that mm -hmm. proof, higher proof, higher bodied stuff, then those started making sense. So then I kind of backdoored my way th down through bourbon through overproof scotch, overproof bourbon back down to more normal. So stuff. you you really did it almost in mm -hmm. reverse of yeah, how, yeah. how, how most people uh, how most people do it. Um, interesting. Um, so was it then that you decided, hey, if we're going to drink it, I might as well make it. Well, one of my other buddies who uh, was part of that homebrew club, we had tried to open breweries before together, had kind of not been in touch for a few years. He was coming back around, and it was kind of the same story. Like, I'm actually, we opened this bar, and I'm actually drinking mostly whiskey. And uh, me too. Cool. Just talk, talk, talk. And it's like, we should read some books. And then he was like, I should go to Scotland for a little bit. We should go look at buildings. And at every point, it kind of felt like we were just talking until mm -hmm. one day we had permits back and approved <laughs> and a building bought and it was like oh well, i guess we're gonna do this and so i kind of straddled both <laughs> both jobs for a little while right, right. it didn't take a few months before i was like i can't do both these things so i left the bar and uh just started doing the duck hunting thing full time which still took us almost another year after that right. we were remodeling the, we were you know me and a buddy put a roof on the on the building we're sledgehammering out walls we're building a lot of um we bought stills, but everything else we had, we were kind of manufacturing stuff and doing plumbing. And I had a ceramics background, so we're doing the masonry and getting burners and all that stuff to like pay pay as few other people as possible and do as much as we right. could ourselves. Sure, sure. So, so how long did it take before you had a product you were ready to actually take to market? Uh, about a year later. Okay. So, um, we finished construction and started distilling in May, I think April or May '09. Excuse me. <clears throat> and then uh, we had whiskey laid down, and we were out of money. So the option was either like go figure out a job for a while, or sell something we or got. sell some whiskey. <laughs> so the first bottles, the first bottles of Baby Blue, which is our intentionally pretty young uh, corn whiskey, was about I think that first bottling was about five weeks old. Wow. So, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, but the response was yeah. pretty strong, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Something we were talking about before the show. I think that year, the San Francisco competition is always like in january february i think you know just the, the words just came out for that and i don't even know remember why we decided like sure you know you're reading a lot of reviews just like people mm -hmm. do you're like oh i guess send we say, we'd send it off why not and i think it was only like our fourth bottling so it was less than six months later and uh yeah i came back with a double gold which we didn't even know what that meant but turns out if everybody gives it their highest rank then it's double, which means it's unanimous. So, wow. whereas other times it's just like average. Right, right. This is the winner, sure, but like, no, but this was everyone's winner. Right. So this had to kind of blow your mind. I mean, yeah. here you're, here you're, uh, you know, you're starting this thing. You're quitting your other job. You reach the point where it's like, okay, we either have to sell something or I got to go back to another job. So you release, uh, admittedly, a very young right. whiskey. And then fast forward just a little bit, and you're winning the double gold yeah. mm -hmm. in San Francisco. I mean, that, that did that just blow yeah, you it was, blow it your was, mind? It was pretty nuts. Yeah. yeah. So there's uh, there's I think a thing going on with Texas whiskey. I, mm -hmm. I really do, and and, and I want to talk about that a little bit later mm -hmm. on. But uh, but how long did it take after um, uh, after the blue to uh, to move to your next uh, your next expressions? So you may have had rumble, which isn't a whiskey, and we don't make very much of it, but mm -hmm. that was, we'd already laid down some of that, and that's a, a weird one we make that's uh, 
Terminado Sugar Base mm-hmm. and uh, Texas Honey and Mission Figs. Um, so I those, actually really like it too. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty fun one. It's yeah. kind of a mind like what category does this go right, in? Nobody right. knows what to do with it, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason we don't make a lot of it. It's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. People don't know what to do with it. The ingredients are very expensive. Um, but those two are already laid down. But we, I mean, we set out to be a single malt distillery. That was always the goal. Um, a little bit over curious, maybe a little bit ADD, but we kept getting on all these sidetracks. And the mash tun we had bought was damaged. We had to do some work on it, and we just were spending all of our time just keeping up. Like, mm-hmm. we've released some things now that people want. It was just like making, making, mm-hmm. making. It's like, mm-hmm. well, when are we going to spend time to fix this thing so we can actually start getting malt laid down? Um, so that took a few years. Um, but we finally got to that, which is ironic. It's the thing we set out to do ended up not being the flagship in the traditional sense. Like, we didn't lead with it. Uh, but uh, it's nice to finally get around to it. What is what is your flagship, your bestseller? Uh, it changes a lot, partly because we keep releasing stuff. We can mm-hmm. kind of have a little mm-hmm. bit of a self-editing problem. But also <laughs> coming from also coming from a beer background, well, there's, a, there's a normal model, this kind of flagship model with like a variant or two for whiskey. Right. We had tw- I think we did 21 different SKUs last year, and we've got about the same amount coming out this year. But see, I think that this is the direction that the entire beverage industry is headed, though. Because as as it's become possible pretty much anywhere to be able to find good beer and be able to find good, uh, you know, uh, hand-distilled spirits, it's become more interesting to people, I think, to be trying new things and right. to be trying different variants. And, and there are there are a lot of crap breweries right now that aren't really concerned about having a flagship. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. more concerned about are they continuing to find new things to entice well, people with because yeah. that seems to be where uh, people's attentions are focused. And I think I don't think Spirits is moving that direction quite as fast, yeah. but I think it's definitely we've, moving that direction. We've talked about this in the uh, craft beer industry especially. Sometimes those those – Standbys, those great beers that got you into trying those things, you know, we tend to ignore them. Oh, sure. After a right. while, because Samuel Adams, Boston right, Lager, great and, beer, and, but uh, I don't go out and Sierra, buy it because Sierra there's Nevada so many Pale other Ale. things to yep. try. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's led in the industry to some degree. Um, the uh, the ability to go, you know, what we can change what we make a little bit each time, and it's okay mm-hmm. because our name is going to mean that the customer knows that this is the quality we're starting with. Well, and particularly when you've got, you know, so many people, and I think, again, the spirits industry is headed this direction, maybe just a little slower uh, than craft beer, but you've got so many people who craft beer has become not just something they enjoy drinking, but kind of a hobby and trying mm-hmm. and tasting these things and maybe rating them, rating them on Untapped or, or, uh, or you know, um, some of the other apps and stuff mm-hmm. that are out there are, are things that they're – you know, it's part of their enjoyment of the experience, and so they're constantly seeking out new and different. So I, I think I think the way you're approaching it makes sense for where things are going. Yeah, you know? I, I think, and to some degree, we are we're we're our target customer. Right, we, we buy and collect beer, whiskey, wine. Mm-hmm. So it's, mm-hmm. I, I, we do what is interesting to us as someone who also is watching other brands do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you guys know the same with beer, like like you were just saying. I have a few standbys that I keep at home. Mm-hmm. But man, something new in a category you already enjoy shows right. up on the shelf from a different state or a new mm-hmm. brewery you haven't seen before. You buy it, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So absolutely. it makes perfect sense to me. Um, a whiskey is a little harder to get into that right. though, just because of the price right. point. Like yeah. a ten dollar—that's true. A ten dollar four or six pack 
is a little easier to sink into than right. a forty dollar well to eighty dollar bottle. Sure, particularly but again particularly if you try it and you're not that crazy about it. And then right. you're like, oh, okay, now I got this. But one. that's yeah. where some of these whiskey events come in so handy. Yes, you get to absolutely. try them and, and try them and go, and okay, again, this is to my palate. This right. is what I want to enjoy. Yep. And then you know what to go and buy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you're listening to the show and hopefully we describe things well enough that you can at least kind of know what direction you're pointed in, you know? At least that's our excuse for sampling all this. Uh, Speaking of samples, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are we yeah. trying? Yeah, first why don't we sit here talking with no drinks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are we thinking? Yeah. Um, Romance, so smoking and toasting and talking. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> what are, so what are we uh, sampling first here, Jerry? So I'm going to start us off uh, lower ABV to higher. Um, Makes sense. This is our. This is one of our newest products. Um, this is our Texas Pop Still Bourbon. Um, it is technically a four grain but that also wasn't really the goal right at least for us the pot still had way more to do with what we were shooting for than <laughs> okay than the, than the mash bill than and the, the mash, mash bill might change a little bit which is also the other beautiful thing as much as small batches thrown around and has come to mm-hmm. mean almost nothing right uh there's some people there's some products it's, on the it's, shelf it's that, like putting the word custom on a uh motorcycle or guitar oh yes yeah. yes custom. The, uh, yeah yeah the custom shop they only sold a million of those this year <laughs> right, right. yeah some people's small batches are bigger than you know our entire annual production <laughs> across 20 different products um but that is the fun part and we and we put all the batch numbers and dates on everything so that there is kind of this expectation that like oh, there'll be some subtle variants you know uh i always kind of make the comparison if you're if consistency is your main goal with a, a spirit then that that kind of reminds me of more like uh, an Applebee's or something. Like I can go anywhere in the world and like it's going to taste the right, same, right? As opposed to you show up in I don't know New Orleans and ask somebody like, <laughs> right? What's the cool hole in the wall spot? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Where do I want to um, go and and have some fish tonight or so whatever? Yeah. It's not that there's no consistency goals, but it's that's definitely a wider spectrum than uh, you know somebody like Jameson or somebody would allow yeah, themselves. Sure. Um, so this is intentionally a lot. There's a few things that were very intentional about this product because we've been out there for 10 years now and uh, we actually have people that are in sales, you know, out there in the, <laughs> in the field. Yeah. And they're hearing from people. They're hearing from bars. They're hearing from liquor stores and drinkers. And uh, there was kind of this recurring theme of what keeps people away from our stuff. Um, and it was threefold. A lot of people drink within very specific categories. Mm-hmm. Um and beer drinkers are the same. I know guys that like won't touch a stout. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when people come to your table over and over or you bring samples to a bar and you'd like to get them to put you on the menu and they say, well, let me try your bourbon and you don't have one. Uh, a big chunk of the time, it's goodbye. Thanks. Thanks interesting. for no thanks. Uh, yeah, it's I mean, pretty quick. That makes yeah. sense when you say it, but I don't know if I would have even thought that. You know, yeah. it's like, it, yeah. And we make some, but we make a few, but they're just one-offs that we do once a year. They're kind of mm-hmm. special releases. Mm-hmm. Part of we didn't have any in our core lineup. So this was you saying, okay, let's make this part of the core lineup. Yeah. It'll be one of our you know flagship things, mm-hmm. and it'll be something that kind of people can sort of know and trust right. yeah. in the bourbon in the bourbon area. Well, I, I will tell you, it's still del- it's delicious. I mean, I mm-hmm. think it's very smooth. It's got the bourbon characteristics that I you know enjoy most. I think, which is that. Sort of wonderful cinnamony uh, 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 heat on, on the finish. I I think it's terrific. This has a very pleasant heat to it. Yes, it has, it's a great way to say it, Ian. It has more heat than some, and it's not a harsh heat at all. It's mm-hmm. actually really smooth, and it's not in the front of the palate either. But it has a very pleasant warming 
sensation to the heat. That's a little really bit of nice. a little bit of a honey vibe mm-hmm. to it as well. Yeah, definitely yeah. kind of a honey finish on it. Um, it's a pretty high malt part of the recipe. Um, mm-hmm. So the rye portion is tiny. On this bottling, it was like one percent. It, mm-hmm. it might hover higher up to three, four, something like that. We use very little rye in the recipe. Pretty decent amount of wheat, about eighteen percent or so, and uh, about twelve to fifteen percent malt, depending on the barrels. Um, so the other the other things that kept coming up. Really, four things that, that we were kind of trying to attack. You know, to be straight, can't have additives, but it also needs to be two years. We don't do additives, coloring, or, or it's flavoring, right. sweetener, anything to any of our stuff, mm-hmm. but some of them aren't two years old. So I know people that, I only drink bourbon, they walk away if you don't have one. Right. As consumers are, are, are getting more and enthusiasts are getting more informed, they know what straight means, and they, mm-hmm. don't, they know that we're, people aren't telling us what's really in our bottle half the time. Mm-hmm. So that there's people that have switched, we're like, if it doesn't say straight, I'm not buying it, because otherwise I don't know what's in there. So straight's an issue. Um, so we intentionally used two-year-old plus just to make sure we could hit that. Uh, ABV, I don't think 46 is crazy, but if you're used to drinking mm-hmm. 40, 43, column, charcoal filtered, mm-hmm. all that, mm-hmm. I get it. It's like ale versus lager, right? Like, okay, this is bigger. It's a little creamier, right. has a little more heat to it. Um, and most of our stuff's like 50 plus. So proof was an issue. And lastly, the most obvious one is price. Right. Um, and there's this massive drop-off uh, if you look at market data after you hit 30 bucks and over. Um, there's bars that literally tell you, don't pour me anything that's over about 30, 35 bucks. It won't end up on the menu. We definitely right. won't use it for cocktails because mm-hmm. I just can't make the, they, the, they, they no can't mar- make the money no back. Yeah. No margin, yep, yep. Um, so it really was kind of like, okay, these are the, these are the things we're hearing. These are barriers kind of to entry for people. Um, can we, and we don't do much that, that low proof, so it was really kind of like a guess, like, well, let's pull a bunch of barrels and see if we can pull something off in that, mm-hmm. r- in that proof range that we are actually, like, excited about and still feels like us. Right. Um, even if it's more approachable than a lot of more, like, collector nerd enthusiasts, mm-hmm. it, yeah, sure, if it's too soft, like, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not going to be surprised because you're drinking cast strength only and whatever. Um, but then there was this other category. We actually have a guy uh, who was on my mind who volunteers every time we have events at the distillery. And uh, one of the things we do is we, we give them a bottle. They volunteer. They get a T-shirt or whatever, and you get, mm-hmm. a, you get a bottle to take home. And uh, he's a guy I've known for years. He's never bought a bottle of our stuff. And he's a social worker. He doesn't have a huge salary. Would love to support local friends, all that stuff. I have friends, neighbors, people you know, family, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who just don't, don't go spend 50 to 80 bucks on a bottle mm-hmm. of whiskey. Right. And uh, that was always a little hurtful, too. Like, oh, we've, but we finally, you know, over the last 10 years, we've grown. There's been some expansion. You, there, is a, there is ways to finally, like, get some savings into a bottle. Um, but to know people that would love to be supportive just don't because of money. It's just, right. like, right. heartbreaking. Right. Well, as um, Ian was saying, it's different than, you know, 9, 10, 11 bucks for a six-pack right. or a four-pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, dropping 50 80 90 dollars for uh, for a bottle of whiskey you know? yeah, the, other, the other thing we started doing recently just this year is doing minis of some of our core stuff mm. uh you know industry speak they call it trial but we we have a pretty good track record with trial if mm-hmm. you can get people to taste it the conversion rate for us with our mm-hmm. brand is usually mm-hmm. pretty good mm-hmm. but it is pricey and the proof is high like all there's all these reasons why they aren't going to go by uh, uh, right. So the tastings, the whiskey shows, all that's been huge for us. And then we were like, man, what if we get some minis in here? This is not a big commitment. Four, five, six bucks. Mm-hmm. Grab baby blue back. Grab single malt. Grab the rye. It makes total we, sense. These I've are, seen, yeah, I've seen a little. These are coming out soon, just to make it easy. Like, th- and we don't. Even, we barely even make any money on those, just because packaging is, costs. Is expensive. But it is a great way to get people to try something. Just it try really to, is. Yeah. Figure out what's what's keeping people away from what you're doing, and just. 
trying to make it as easy as possible to get into it. What is the retail on the bourbon? So that's supposed to hit about twenty nine ninety nine, and I've seen See, it lower. That's mm. that's tough to beat. I mean, yep. when you can get into that price range, then you really can get people to yep. go. Yeah, I've heard good things about balconies. I'll try this. You know, this yep. has this really does have all those things that you expect, even in a higher uh, priced. Uh, product it has mm-hmm. like a great mouthfeel, a little bit of oiliness to it mm-hmm. that really spreads out that flavor. Um, it's got just a great flavor profile, and I just I really love that little whiskey hug at the end. It's really the little nice. the finish is really yeah. terrific, isn't it? It really is. All right, so this is wonderful. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We'll try more whiskey, and we have more beer to sample, including one that we've apparently sampled before. But uh, it's it's so damn good that we're going to just have to try it again. Are, are you being repetitive? Uh, I'm I'm. Just saying that we may have tried it before, but it's so damn good we have to try it again. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, but but then again, I've been accused of being repetitive. So you have been accused it's, of being it's repetitive. A thing. Yes, yeah, <laughs> as have you. Uh, Jared's going, why did I come on this show? Uh, it's like, okay. oh no, I'm stuck in the middle of one of these private <laughs> it's, jokes. It's a loop. It's a private joke loop. What could be, what could be worse, That's really? Right. I, I feel like I've heard this before. Yeah, I have a feeling you probably have. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with uh, uh, segment three, some Parish Brewing, Ghost in the Machine, and more from uh, Balcones. Uh, good Texas whiskey, my friends. We'll be right back. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. Is that uh, Rye going to be next? Yeah, the ball probably would do good with style, I would think. It's almost against my religion. Uh, welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. And I just want to mention, by the way, this little bumper music here is Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Got a chance to see them again at the uh, Heights Theater uh, last week. Adam, uh, our Uber producer, was there uh, along with his uh, gorgeous wife and uh, my wife and I. And boy, boy, what a great show. Those guys. I mean, anytime you got a band takes the stage with seven horns and they all know how to play, you're in for a good time. That's all. uh, That's all I'm saying, you know. It's, it, it is what it is. So uh, go see him. Even if you aren't like into the whole swing thing, it's just an enjoyable musical event. It's an event, though. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. It's not just a show. It's right. an event. That's a band well like said. that is mm-hmm. definitely, and they're putting on a serious stage mm-hmm. show. Yes, yes, and it, and it's wonderful. And these guys are all, you know, you know, it's been the same members in that band like for whatever, 10, 15 years as long as they've been together. So it's not like just hired guns. Oh, I love that sound. So we've changed up here because, as Ian so rightly pointed out, the um, the IPA has an opportunity to pair really great with the rye, which will be the last of the whiskeys that we sample here. If you're not familiar so, with it, IPAs mm-hmm. and ryes go really well together. Right. So we've actually gone with cigars and iced tea. We, yes. yes. We've actually gone with the double here uh, as the uh, brew for this segment. Uh, while Ian's pouring that, let me tell you about. Um, uh, Senator Marco Rubio from Florida uh, held a um, held a congressional hearing in Ybor City, Florida, a congressional field hitting called, hearing called "Keeping Small Premium Cigar Businesses Rolling." The greatest threat to my business, the owner of one uh, Florida cigar retail spot. Corona Cigar Company said at this is the heavy hand of government regulations being pushed forward by the FDA. It's an industry that can get squeezed out of business very, very easily. So I won't go through all the stuff from this, but the point is that 
Um, regardless of whether you're Republican or Democrat, if you're a cigar aficionado, you've got to be happy with Marco Rubio because he's he's actually getting out there and doing things to try to illustrate how important mm-hmm. it is that the government regulations not be applied to premium cigars uh, when it comes to the FDA. And so my my hat's off to him. I, I just. I uh, I respect hugely what he's done uh, for the cigar industry and is continuing to push the bill to exempt premium cigars from uh, the FDA regulation. So we'll uh, we'll you know cross our fingers and hope for the best. But I'm uh, I'm I'm encouraged at some of the movement that we're beginning to see. And uh, who knows, uh, Ian? Would wouldn't it be crazy if the government actually did the right thing for once? That would be amazing. It would it would be uh, it would be a wonderful uh, a wonderful. T- uh, wonderful thing to celebrate and we will celebrate by the way if if this thing happens we're going to throw like some sort of a party show i don't know yet what we'll do uh we might invite you know uh, jeremiah and maybe those two guys that nobody cares about and just have a whole uh just have a whole uh party on a boat someplace who knows uh, it'll, be, it'll be fun though uh okay so um we have opened up <clears throat> ian tell us some since you've got the bottle there tell us a little bit about delilah and i don't mean that Horrible, sappy radio show. Boom, ba, boom, ba, boom. Oh, that's Elvira. Never mind. Yeah. Um, so this is a barrel of monks brewing mm-hmm. uh, that you brought in, so you might know more about it than I do. Uh, brewed and bottled in Boca Raton, Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, Belgian-inspired ale, 7% by volume. It's a double, and it's coffee-infused, right? And it is coffee-infused, yes. So it's interesting because I, took a, uh, I, I put it up to my nose earlier, and it smells mm-hmm. like fruitcake. Which is interesting because you're expecting that really mocha coffee Fruit kind of cake sitting yeah. next to a cup of coffee. coffee. Yes, <laughs> but really, you're right. I was expecting less of the sort of sweet fruit and more uh-huh. of the sort of bitter coffee. Yeah, most of the time when you brew with coffee, coffee has such a very distinctive, uh, such a very distinctive aroma that it's it's hard to mask. So they must have been very delicate with this because the fruitiness of the double really does come through and then the coffee finishes it it's well really you're 100 percent right it's it, the mouthfeel is not heavy either mm-hmm. i was expecting more it's actually really silky you know but it, yeah. you're right it's it's very silky is a good way to describe it it's not light necessarily but it's uh but it's definitely not one of the heavier you know often when you talk about a double or a triple i'm expecting that heavier uh, mouthfeel in this right and, and this isn't as round it. in the front as a lot of the uh like round and sweet right up front like a lot of uh belgian style ales are as well it's it's a little more subdued and it's kind of more delicate it's nice <laughs> it on has the, on the bottle it says delilah is our abby uh turno abby style double enhanced by the addition of freshly roasted coffee beans from our friends at the chosen bean uh, we choose their Samson Roast as its uh, robust and almost fruity notes blend perfectly with the toffee flavors of Makes our double, sense, yeah. um, <coughs> creating a deliciously complex treat. I think it's it, it, this is interesting. This is more delicate than I would have expected Way more. from and fruitier than I was expecting from a double yeah. with coffee. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this is very interesting there. I'm uh, I'm I'm with you on this. In fact, it's it's uh, much more drinkable and less. You know, often the coffee infused. Doubles or triples or the stouts or porters, it's really a sipping taste experience. This yeah. is almost this is almost like a drink it beer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's got enough. It's uh, it's not boozy at all. Food. Even at seven percent, it's not boozy mm-hmm. uh, very much at all. It's it's and it's and the uh, the bubbles are very silky on it. It has it's, the right kind of bubbles. Definitely fruit up front, mm-hmm. and then um, the the coffee on the finish. 
But what it doesn't have, and this is interesting to me, is it doesn't have that. There's a certain sort of a, a, a bitter uh, flavoring that, like a Chimay or or you know, uh, yeah, that's like that that's kind of like getting the, the 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 skin of the fruit a lot of times. That this that doesn't seem to have right that there. though. You know, uh-uh. it, it's very. Uh, very very smooth. And I wonder and if the difficult. I wonder if the coffee uh, if that's inherent in their double or if the coffee has tamed that a little bit. It feels like maybe they did find the perfect coffee beans to go with this. It really is good, and they said the coffee beans even have a fruitiness to it. Apparently, mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. that's yeah, a pretty good choice. Yeah. It's interesting how much coffee is on the nose, and in the middle is all that fruit yeah. and mm-hmm. drier, not nearly as cloying as you would expect. Right, and then this coffee pops back in right at the end. It kind of bookends the right. Yeah. As opposed you're to- absolutely right. And the fruit is really, as you said, a lot of times the dried fruit, the date nut mm-hmm. type thing is a much more sort of a I don't know how to put that right into the right words but this isn't like that at all it's almost uh it's almost smooth this has a little bit of like more apricot kind of flavors to it that like apricot yep. kind of next to the uh, pit kind of flavors it seems like it's probably drier maybe than a yeah. lot of a lot of belgians so it, it it finished fermentation there's not a lot of residual sugar left which affects body and how right. sticky and yeah. mm-hmm Salivating it is. Yeah, so is, while we still have this in the cup, what is yeah. the uh, what is the right uh, uh, whiskey maybe to pair uh, with this from your portfolio? So here? we're going to go with the uh, our our Texas single malt, which is nice. uh, kind of we make a bunch of single malts finally now, but uh, this is kind of what we led with and the thing we kind of always hope to make. So this is a hundred percent Golden Promise barley, which is an old Scottish uh, variety, very similar to Maris Otter for beer guys. But uh, a Scottish version of Maris Otter, which is a, a UK uh, barley variety. It was very popular. Uh, a lot of old, if you're into dusty scotch at all, you've probably had a lot of scotch that was made with Golden Promise. A lot of the conglomeration that was going on in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s. Y- you can think through somebody like us, if you can get, you know, a tenth of a liter more alcohol per pound by switching to a different variety for us. It's like, what that makes us what we make like eight grand next year right, right. by switching to something that's less tasty. Mm-hmm. If you're a massive, you know, international conglomerate, you may be talking about tens of hundreds of millions of dollars by right, making a right. switch like that. So people have moved away from it. McAllen used to be hundred percent golden promise. Um, so in some ways we picked this because, uh, we don't have the same economic reasons to switch to something that's right. higher. And sure. it's, no one switched away from it because it wasn't tasty. <laughs> right. It, 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 they pushed away from it for yeah. efficiency reasons. Sure. So in some ways we're kind of making uh, our single malt in a way that scotch used to be made and really isn't much anymore except by some of the smaller producers. And we use a classic M1, uh, classic scotch strain on our Forsyth Scottish pot stills. So in some ways, other than the barrel aging pro, uh, program, this is a very traditional, uh, you know, this is a 70s, 80s, 90s way of making a single malt. <laughs> we are using a lot more new oak. There is some used oak in here, um, but the majority of it, two-thirds to three-quarters of it, is new. So in that sense, the wood profile is a lot more American. Um, but I think a Belgian, whether double or quad, triple would be probably a little light. But any like darker, heavier malt, a lot of Maillard reaction, caramelized sugar stuff, I think makes a lot of <coughs> sense to go with a malt whiskey like this. The, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia right now for the uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. big time. From, uh, uh, you know, from a resurgence in, you know, 70s music and stuff to, you know, shows like Stranger Things and, you know, yeah, different, yeah. different things that are really pulling people uh, towards the... Um, uh, you know, towards the whole nostalgia. So I could see people having nostalgia for certain mm-hmm. flavors and tastes uh, that that remind them yeah. of that time as well. Um, and then, of course, there's the millennials who don't remember what it was like, but 
seem to enjoy like experiencing. Speaking that, of seventies ish, uh, I was stuck on it the other day. You know, how you, you know how you get that earworm and you get a song stuck in your mm-hmm. ear. That uh, Daft Punk tune that came out a few years ago, "Lose Yourself to Dance." Yes, it's got Now Rogers playing that guitar <laughs> rhythm in there. It's so good. He's, he's so awesome. I mean, he's, he's so just awesome. killing it. Speaking of uh, nostalgia, I'll just mention this as I'm like kind of letting the first flavors of that wash over my tongue. Um, I finally saw the hand the Han Solo movie, mm-hmm. uh, and. It it wasn't bad. It wasn't great, uh, but it sure made me nostalgic for the original Star Wars. Yeah, you know what I mean. It made me want to go back and watch like that first movie, which is the fifth movie or whatever. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like the the the. the, the <laughs> it first, is a little confusing, isn't it? Let's just call uh, it the first movie, even though it's the yeah, third movie, the one we all movie. saw first. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, but it just made me nostalgic to go back for that when there weren't. So many things trying to be accomplished by a movie. I, when it was really just kind of trying to tell a story. You know? I think that, because uh, I saw the Han Solo movie as well. I just watched it on Amazon or Netflix. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Um, but uh, I think they did capture uh, kind of the original Han Solo. There were definitely things I liked Rascaliness, yeah. if you will, about sure, his character. Sure. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The right so. mix of... I'm a bad boy, but not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. He's a bad trying, guy. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, exactly. It did kind of enrich that one, and then the um, oh, what's the what's the most recent sequel? Even the first Jedi, uh, Last Jedi, the Last Jedi. Yeah. But what my favorite part about both of those was kind of fleshing out Chewbacca. I feel like he got so yeah. much more layered. Uh, yes, I. I he was totally just like agree. a big, you know, muscle. He's, he's your muscle. He's your brute. Yeah, beats people up for you, protects you. And now we're seeing a much more nuanced, I right, think. Right. Uh, and by the way, Childish Gambino as um, uh, Lando uh, Calrissian, nailed it. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant <laughs> casting choice, yeah. and he was wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because when he first, when I first saw him on the, on camera, I was like, "How did they get a young Billy D. Williams? Like, mm-hmm. like how did that, how did that happen?" So it was, it was perfect. And so. likewise, he got the swagger. Like, yeah. Oh, he perfect. was, he was perfect. Yeah. So um, after having a, a couple sips of this uh, single malt, going back to the, um, going back to that coffee double, it really brings out the coffee. Yeah, it's a little more obvious. Boy, you're right. It, it, it okay. So interestingly. The sip of the uh, of the single malt really transforms the flavor of the dibble. You know, it, it it really tastes completely different to me. the The same flavors are there, but the way it the way it hits the tongue are very very different. That's that's fascinating. This Pair, pairing is a funny thing, you know. Things mm-hmm. complement. Uh-huh. There's both a lot of lot of malty, dark brown, kind of sugary, honey things going on in both. Which can enhance it, or it can all of a sudden make one of them feel like, "Where did it go?" Yeah, and and there's some, yeah, some pairings work totally against each other. Mm-hmm. Like you, you right. have the one and you have the other, and go, Ooh, "Wow, I wish I hadn't done that." Or the yeah. contrast sometimes enhances stuff <laughs> right. depending on what you're trying Absolutely. to do. Absolutely, we, have, we do this with chefs a lot because we do these dinners mm-hmm. where they're gonna they want to put a, a, a menu together and like have whiskeys or cocktails to go with each course, and it's like, some of it's philosophical. What do you want to do? Yeah, do you want to contrast this very delicate fish dish with brimstone which is our smoked one it's something crazy or spicy right, right. or do you want some things that are really just kind of like go sweet together More mellow just, or re- exactly where they're just super cohesive and it's like yeah you have to kind of make a decision and then try to pull it off so when you decided to do bal- uh, balconies what did you have to learn did you did you have to take courses on uh 
distilling? Did you watch? I mean, we we had uh, one of our one of our first guests uh, from Grateful Dane, um, Ian Mook. Uh, uh, Ian Mook. Um, we had him. On, I asked him the question. So, so how did you learn how to uh, distill rum? And he said, I watched YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Like, That's funny. Yeah. So, but that but, was also along with how many people do you have at your company? And he goes, Well, including me. One. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Let me just say, no one's there right now because yeah, I'm here. <laughs> exactly. But but uh, but to that point, uh, what did you have to do in order to learn how? Because there's obviously quite a bit of skill that's going into this because you're getting some great balance, some great nuance. What did you have to do to learn how to do this? Well, yeah, this is this is different than five gallons in your backyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which of course would be illegal, so no one would ever. Do right. That. Of course, no, no one, one would ever do that. I mean, the weird thing is, at the time, our major whiskey producing regions, they have their tradition. There's a lot of inertia there. There's a lot of history there. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of what we're seeing Kentucky, happening. Kentucky, Tennessee, and, and in the UK. of course, yeah. Scotland and the UK. Yeah. So um, I think some of the questions American small producers were asking, there was only so much we could learn from talking to those people, which we did. Um, there was a, there was these old texts. They're literally, I don't know what you call it. Uh, when the, uh, you know, like the F looks like an S looks like an F, whatever. <laughs> yes. We found all these texts literally from like the 1800s. Calligraphy. No, like the typing, like these, oh, it's, it's right. Like, right. Where the, where the F has this swirliness right, right, to right. it. Yeah. But we're literally trying to reread, read these things that are reprints of these texts from like the 1800s. Mm. Um, I have a really funny story actually about reaching out to Ed Foote, who was the last master distiller at Stitzelweller before they closed, mm-hmm. you know, legendary, all this, all the dusty old fits and, you know, where Pappy kind of got its stuff going. And like, this is the guy who was the master distiller there and, uh, had a friend, got me his email. We had this little e- email chain going back and forth. He had no idea who I was, but I was just trying to like, as a distiller, like trying to pick his brain, like there's, there's some gem in here to why those whiskeys were so special. And I was just like trying to figure out what it was. If I ask enough questions, maybe I'll just be like, ah, I bet that's it. And it was the funniest interaction. He, okay, so what about the mash bill? And he kind of rounded it off. He's like, ah, I think it was about this percent this. And I'm like, okay, that's not super specific. Well, what about your yeast strain? He's like, you know, guys used to say it was really similar to this strain that, uh, you know, these guys still use over here. It's like, you don't even know the yeast strain. Okay, maybe it's the barrels. <laughs> ask about the fermenters. Ask about all these things. And he finally got, I think he got a little tired of my questions. And he's like, you know, you, sh- you know, you should talk to, I could probably tell you a lot of really interesting stuff. You should talk to some of these craft distillers. They're doing some really interesting things. And I was like, crap. I, I thought I was talking to a retired master mm-hmm. legend in mm-hmm. the field. And he said, he didn't know he was saying, saying, talk to myself, but that's what he was saying. Talk to yourself yeah, and your saying, peers. Talk to the innovators. Yeah. And I was like, well, cool. I guess, yeah, if you can't give me any more direction than talk to the the craft guys which is that's who we are that's mm-hmm. who are we interact with it's like well oh, cool that means it's wide open and the other side of it is that texas had not ever we don't know what t- kind of whiskey texas was going to make which opened it up even further it's a mm-hmm. big wide open question even 10 years mm-hmm. in i still feel like i've talked to dan garrison about this you know the guys at ranger creek you know, we a bunch of us know each other and it still feels like we've just scratched the surface we don't really know um between the climate and if you're using wild like environmental yeast or anything like wh- whatever well, you yeah, are right is, now creating this history, right? Yeah, which means which we can do, pretty cool. We can do whatever. Yeah, and we're right now drinking this. We're drinking history. history. Yeah. By the way, this uh, yes. this single malt does everything I like whiskey to do. Well, I was about to say this is this <laughs> is just like right down the middle lane 
of my uh, of my palate and taste. This is just perfect. I love that big multi sweetness uh-huh. right up front. I love the way it rolls into that honey and cinnamon at the end. That and this has very little heat at all, even on the end. It's fifty three too. It's one hundred six. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. In some ways, it has the body I was expecting out of there. Like mm-hmm. you get a little, a little uh, more creamy, uh, a little uh, oilier. Double, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it and it's really, really good with this beer too. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. This is a good so, cigar one too. Oh, mm, I, I bet. I bet it is. Yeah. In fact, that's got me. Uh, <laughs> got me Jones, and I think. It's, uh, okay. I tell you what, we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back. I want to talk some more about this Texas whiskey thing because. Right now, if you were to, we touched on this earlier, Tennessee whiskey, Kentucky bourbon, um, and then you start thinking about Scotland and Ireland mm. and Japan. Uh, am I missing any? Like that's that's the sort of regions that are the most associated with uh, successful and whiskey. now Texas and now Texas, and I really want to talk and Taiwan about Taiwan and India. Uh, okay, Australia. So, so, it's a crazy. Uh, but, crazy time. but something's happening here in yeah. Texas, and I, want, I really want to talk about that uh, because the world is beginning to discover Texas whiskey as a thing. Yeah. And uh, and so this will be uh, fun to talk about. And uh, to do some more sampling, we saved our uh, Parish Brewing Ghost in the Machine double IPA, and we've saved some whiskey. We'll be right back. It's smoking and toasting. It's probably the one we, we, we fret over yeah, the most because really, it's kind really of our, uh, our baby. Mmm. I really like small format cigars. I'm not mm-hmm. like a hour and a, you know, 45 minutes, hour plus kind of smoke. Welcome back. It's smoking and toasting. We are brought to you, my friends, by our uh, wonderful sponsors, B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston, in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, and by B&B Lemon. Right across the street from B&B in, in Houston on Washington Avenue. And I just have to say, uh, we were at B&B Lemon last week, and uh, they brought us out some of the Parmesan bacon. So good. Dude, I'm still having dreams about that. That was so amazingly good. So good. So amazingly good. Thinking about what something like that would taste like with that whiskey that we just tried <laughs> uh, with that single malt fantastic ian's going to create a sound effect because we do all organic sound effects that's why i thought that's how we should to refer to them yeah it's or, they're clue, organic clue, yeah we clue. keep them real. Foley guy. that's right yeah exactly <laughs> where did you get those cookies? we like sink it bad where some guys popping a bottle off off camera mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so all right so a new article has been uh released um scanmovers.com a Dutch uh, uh, website has, and this is why I find this so particularly interesting, by the way, because it wasn't an American website that released this. This was uh, from our uh, friends, uh, uh, the Dutch. And uh, they've released a uh, list of the 100 best cities in the world to drink craft beer. They said, why? Because we're hip, we love beer, and we are from the Netherlands, one of the most famous beer countries. Next to that, we move people. We want them to be fully informed on the cities they go to, especially when it comes to something as important as craft beer. So they looked at vital craft beer indicators, such as craft beer bars, bars per 100 uh, kilometers, bars per capita, microbreweries, beer consumption, beer production, pint prices, uh, operating hours, hipster compatibility, craft beer buzz. <laughs> Did I'm you reading say the list. hipster compatibility? Yes, that's what it says right here. That's why I said I'm reading the list. Uh, and the legal drinking age. Here are the top 25 winners. At number one, the number one city to drink craft beer, Denver, Colorado. Hmm. 
which I guess doesn't surprise me because there's so many great breweries in Colorado. And very high hipster And And Denver is a pretty, you know, it's the biggest city there, obviously, and, and I think that uh, factors into this because I don't see a lot of smaller cities on this list. Austin, for example, did not make the list. Really? Which is That's yeah, odd. Which is going to piss off people in Austin right. so badly. Uh, but it's going to happen. Uh, Dublin came in at number two. Dublin, Ireland. Uh, at number three. And uh, I found this very interesting. Chicago. Huh. Chicago. Now, there's obviously a lot. Of, that's where, you know, Goose Island came out of Chicago. There's been a, an explosion mm-hmm. of the small craft breweries and stuff in Chicago. Uh, London at number four. At number five, Bangkok. Uh, number six, Vancouver. Number seven, Portland. Number eight, Miami. Miami? And, and this game is a bit of a surprise to me because, I, and again, I haven't, haven't been to Miami in a few years, but I don't think of it as a huge craft, craft beer, beer uh, city. But apparently I'm, apparently I'm uh, overdue for a visit to, <laughs> uh, to South Beach. I'm going to take my talent and my pint glass <laughs> to South Beach. Uh, Luxembourg at number nine. San Diego at number ten. No surprise there. San Francisco at 11, Munich at 12, that makes some sense, Mm -hmm. Uh, Berlin at 13, Seattle at 14, then at 15, Ottawa, 16, Philadelphia, and I think that probably has a great deal to do with Yingling, uh, being based from there and it being such a huge, crappier thing. Number 17, Prague, number 18, Toronto, number 19, Buenos Aires, number 20, Copenhagen, number 21, Brussels, number 22, Houston. I was about to awesome. ask if Texas made it. Yep, yeah. Houston, uh, number twenty-two, uh, twenty-three, Cape Town, number twenty-four, Cologne, and number twenty-five, Budapest. So, uh, Houston, the only Texas city to make the uh, uh, the, the list uh, of the there are of the so Danish many uh, the Danish list of the best great cities. breweries in Houston. Well, there really are, and uh, if you if you want to go, and I'll I'll make sure we post a list to this uh, uh, to this article in the show notes or a link rather to the article in the show notes. But if you go through this, they give you sort of the reasons why for all of mm-hmm. these top 25. And the list is actually 100 long. I just did the top 25, but there's all kinds of other stuff in here. However, even in the 100, Austin and Dallas did not make the list, which is really interesting to me because, and again, not to start any sort of Texas turf war thing going here because we have plenty of friends and listeners in Austin and, and Dallas, but um, Austin, I think, you would you would assume Austin considers itself to be the craft beer capital of Texas, yeah. and well, I think there's been a few articles out where Austin yeah. has been like absolutely, the place, you know? absolutely. And then when you uh, when you read uh, people talking about Texas breweries that are writing these articles from other spots inside the United States, they have a tendency to mention Dallas more often than they mentioned Houston, despite the fact that St. Arnold is the oldest craft brewery in Texas, and mm-hmm. it's right uh, you know, right here in Houston. But anyway, not to wave the flag for Houston, but I was proud to see the city we're from represented yeah, in, in this list. And, and you're absolutely right, Ian. There's a lot of great craft beer activity going on in, uh, in Houston. And not far from us, we find the uh, state line of Louisiana, and just over the state line, Broussard, Louisiana. And Broussard is where they make... Uh, this wonderful craft beer called Ghost in the Machine. It's a double IPA, and uh, these guys are Parish Brewing. I love the I love everything about this. I love the label. Yeah, the I love the whole awesome. Louisiana vibe. I love the haziness of it. And uh, man, this is a this is so I've had this before. It's a tough beer if, to beat. If anybody out there saw the post of. Uh 
of this uh, last week, or I think it was last week, where I I posted a bottle of this and said, "Hey, Chris Hart, you know how cold should I drink this?" It was <laughs> because this is the beer he left in the freezer. Yeah, he that, left it in the freezer here, and, yes. and, uh, and it turned into a beer slushy. And I didn't get to mm-hmm. try it at that point. In time, it was a wonderful beer tried slushy. Tried it at a later time, and it's a fantastic, absolutely fantastic IPA. And as you know, I'm not really the IPA guy, but if you're going to make an IPA, make it like this. this. This is good. Yeah, this to me is like, uh, it's like the most wonderful boozy orange juice you've ever tasted. Yeah, kind of that, like that's that. That's how I would. That's how I would describe yeah, this. There's I mean, some pineapple too in there. Maybe. Yes, there is. Some there melon. is definitely. It's it's almost like a a juice punch of sorts, but it's but it's not like a like a juice punch like you would mix up that's thinner. But it's there's, thicker like the juice itself. But there's a know? multi balance to this that you don't get in most IPAs. Agreed. There's like a an definite absolute right to in this. the middle of the palate. Mm-hmm. There's a maltiness to and, this and that cannot n- be denied. Interestingly enough, since it's an IPA, it's not overly hoppy. Mm-mm. It's not the hops that really shine. You about can this. smell it though when you it's first pop that bottle. I mean, you can smell that, yeah. and you expect it to be insanely hoppy, and it's not as. Oh, the, as and much it is a double, yet. so it's not like it's uh, you know it's not like it's on the label. But ABV it doesn't have ABV on the label. Oh, I think it's in the seven uh, percent. Range, let's see. I think it says. I think you'll be able to find it on there. I didn't see it on there. Well, I don't have my glasses on, so I wouldn't you know, put money on that. Hold on. <laughs> just curious. Just wondering. If only there were some uh, portable uh, device. electronic device that we could if only uh, we had a computer ask questions of things like this. Yes. <laughs> uh, let me see. I'm just going to. not say on the bottle. I'm just going to type in ABV of ghost in the machine. Even and when I turn my lights on on my glasses. <laughs> 8.0 alcohol nice. by volume. If you're, if you're going to be old and have to wear reading glasses, you might as well rock it. Don't you might glasses. as well rock it. That's right. Uh, well, this is absolutely delicious, and I know we saved the rye uh, for last to be able to uh, uh, to be able to see how it pairs with this, because as Ian uh, is uh, is good at pointing out, rye and uh, IPA are generally a pretty good pretty good pairing. That's interesting. I, I don't think I ever. I if you've that. never tried it, I don't think it, I have. it works. It really works. Works most of the time, doesn't it? Uh, 50% mm. of the time it works all the time. Yeah. So uh, you you mentioned that um, uh, that you don't necessarily have a flagship. Uh, do people gravitate more towards, from a style standpoint, do they gravitate more towards the single malt or to the bourbon or to the rye? What's, where would you say your, your strength is in terms of... What people have identified uh, with f- for your, I for think your brand. the, not that it means everything, but as far as review numbers and awards, mm-hmm. the single malt's definitely kind of the most decorated. Mm-hmm. Um, but you guys have had the baby blue. It's a very mm-hmm. approachable. It's sweet, but it's, it's delicious. It's, it's com- like it's complex. It's pretty approachable. So it's, it's kind of like the bourbon. We try to make both of those. Where like if you want to spend some time <laughs> and think about it, you're welcome to. But you don't mm-hmm. have to. It's not demanding your attention. Mm-hmm. This rye is not going to be like that. This is this. It's not. I hope it's not an angry pepper cat. But no, <laughs> it's you know it's sixty three three. It's rye. We have some chocolate malt in there. We can approach this more yeah, like you can definitely feel the chocolate. Uh-huh. We yeah. approach this more like a brewer. So this is if you saw the, the fermentation. This is one hundred percent rye, but it, it would look like a stout fermentation. Mm-hmm. So we're hit, we're hitting around eight and a half nine percent on the ABV. We've got a decent amount of chocolate, caramel, and uh, roasted rye. So it literally is like a like an imperial stout recipe. Yeah, um, it it's got a. I wonderful, would like to point out wonderful. Not only is it yeah, not only is it delicious. It's got that rye snap to it. That rye, kind of almost uh, hay like finish to it. I don't know how exactly to describe it. Minerally hay like finish, but it has that chocolate backbone right there at the end of the 
flavor that's so good. Um, and it pairs really well with Ghost it in the Machine. It does pair really nicely with Ghost in the Machine. Yeah. Uh, we had they, d- These are like flavors in some ways that work well together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had uh, Dave Pickerel from Whistlepig uh, on the show before he passed, and uh, he basically told us that his success, if you will, his notoriety in the industry was basically because he thought rye would be the next big thing at a time when not a lot of people did, and he turned out to be at least somewhat right. I, I mean, do you see that? Do you think rye is really the next big thing? Is it... Uh, or has it already been that, and now other things are rising that might be bigger? I think rye's still growing. I, I don't. Looking at all the market stuff is not my primary responsibility, but as far as I know, that category is still going going nuts. Right. Um, which we started doing this about four years ago or so, four four and a half, doing our first test batches. Um, the same reason why we make rum. I, I joke about this, but it literally was like we're sitting in the office, we're drinking something that we don't make. And you realize, oh, yeah, right through those double doors is a, is a distillery. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Why? We could so make this. I went through a phase where I was drinking a lot of rye and things that are now completely unobtainable that weren't were expensive but not mm-hmm. impossible to find. Uh, Rittenhouse had their 21, 23, 25. The vintage uh, 17, 19, 21, I think. St. Nick. There, you know, there was there was Willet ryes that were old that was still out right, there back right. then. Um it wasn't crazy to come across a 13 to 21 year old rye and then that stuff all disappeared and it was mm. like well crap i guess we ought to can't buy it i guess you gotta start making some so i, I guess this year at the san francisco um big yeah uh, awards things it was it was the bourbon year like everything bourbon went crazy and won mm. all these uh crazy awards do you there's always some synergy between those two, <laughs> well, i was gonna know? say they're, they're related you, how much of that do you think though is is um is just the way people's brains are that year and how much of it is okay out of all the spirits that were presented here these were the ones that really rose to the top well uh y'all familiar with fred minnick uh whiskey writer i know the name but I, yeah. <clears throat> he, he issued it he wrote his article he's always a part of the judging for that and he wrote mm-hmm. his, his last two years he's written kind of summary we're done we finished the judging mm-hmm. and kind of inside look here's what it actually looks like here's what our day is like here's how exhausting and it just goes on and on mm-hmm. um and then there's been some other some industry response uh overproof stuff t- has been tending to do really well the last few mm-hmm. years and trying mm-hmm. to figure out is that because drinkers are moving to higher proof which maybe may that may be Could all it be, is yeah. or there is a there's a dynamic of sitting down for four to six to eight hours drinking whiskey you're getting a little fatigued so the bigger stuff Kind now of, seems kind of really flavorful, right, right. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the big. It's up in the air. Like, what is it that's going on there? Um, so it's hard to say. As someone who I spend a lot of time tasting, smelling, and yeah, you need to know when you're shot. You know, you need to stop. Right, right. Because <laughs> any any information or any notes I take from here on out is really not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I would come in tomorrow and disagree with myself if I kept going. Mm-hmm. So like, right. mm-hmm. knowing yourself, and I've no, I, I would never do an eight hour day. So I feel bad for these guys. Right. I like I've never had to do any 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 competition judging like that. But eight hours of smelling spirits with like lunch in between. Like, well, yeah, Lord. there's a certain at some point in time you've burnt your palate. Yeah, and right. It's just you know, and at some point in time you you've also had enough where the um, the excitement of ooh, what's this one going to be yeah. like is gone. You know what I mean? Or conversely, everything starts tasting awesome. Oh, that's yeah. true. That, that can <laughs> also great. happen. That can also yeah. happen. Yeah. In yeah. order, we talk about that even when we're doing blending. As when you're doing blinds, like the order that you taste things in, you have to mix it up the next time you do a blind. 
because um, it really does matter what followed what, and, and we're sitting here doing this right now, right? Right. Um, which comes first? Your perception of something is absolutely related to what you had before mm-hmm. and relates to what you have after. And so, if we're doing like a blind, say we're, we got three or four blends, we're trying to pick one. The next day, mix it up. Don't have the same one first every time because it's a lot of times your first drink of the day is a little edgy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that last one is always awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. of course. Which reminds me of a quick story, which I'll share. Yeah. Uh, I, we mentioned earlier that I'd grown up Baptist, so I can, I can tell Baptist stories, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, there you go. Cheers yeah. to that. So <laughs> growing up in the Baptist church, they also uh, uh, are not uh, only I, do they tell you not I just, actually haven't grown up. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's all good. <laughs> not only do we not uh, uh, drink, smoke, chew, or go with girls that do, uh, but we don't dance either. But there's interesting um, rationalizations that occur about actual stories in the Bible. I, I saw that movie with Kevin Bacon. Okay. Yeah. So you know all about uh, Footloose, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but there's a, interesting rationalizations that occur about stories in the Bible. For example, there's the parable about Jesus at the wedding when he turns the water to wine. And I was always told by those who were uh, teaching Sunday school that uh, it wasn't really wine. It was It was just grape juice, that it wasn't fermented wine because... You shouldn't have fermented wine. And I remember getting kicked out of Sunday school for pointing out that that couldn't possibly be. And here's my rationale. Uh, The whole story about Jesus at the wedding where he turns the water to wine uh, is that they had wine for the wedding. And then they ran out. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know what to do. And Jesus went to the casks of water. And he waved his hands over them or said abracadabra or whatever he did. And he changed them to wine, right? Well, the story doesn't stop there. The story says in the Bible that the people who drank the wine were then amazed and said to the people who'd thrown the party, you know, most people uh, don't save the best wine for last. They serve the best wine first, and they serve the cheaper wine last because everyone has already had the good wine and is, and I'm paraphrasing here, of course, and is a little uh, intoxicated, so they They don't notice notice that they've gone to the cheaper wine. And I was like, so that blows a hole in your theory, and I was asked to leave. Well, also, also when he changed the water into wine Mm -hmm. and everybody drank it, there wasn't a riot. Right. Yeah, so there so you it go. Was obviously, not grape juice, <laughs> which just goes to show you. Was so. it wasn't near wine? Yeah, it wasn't yeah, near wine. Uh, well, I got to tell you, I'm. Uh, uh, this is a a really impressive uh, lineup of uh, of products, Jared. I will Thanks. tell you that I I uh, they're all good. I like them all. I I probably I probably would radiate towards the single malt. Uh, uh, personally, that's the one that really just absolutely floats my boat. But the rye is delicious, and I loved just the the bourbon it was just was just a terrific way uh, to start all of this. Let's talk Texas whiskey. Yep. It feels to me like there's a thing developing about Texas whiskey, and I don't know what it is because you can point to maybe even characteristics of Tennessee whiskey yeah. or of Kentucky whiskey or Kentucky bourbon. Are there like unifying characteristics of Texas whiskey, or is it more just about the the beautiful nature of what's beginning to blossom here in 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 the state of Texas? I mean, I think the one common thread across all of us at making whiskey in Texas is going to be the climate, um, which isn't for everybody too. It's right. very easy to get really rapid extraction, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just because people think about the heat, but it's the variation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the whole joke, you know, like, oh, Texas, it's cold. Cool, hold my beer. And, like, you know, the weather's going to The weather will change, yes. Um, I think it's supposed to be 63 tomorrow when I wake up. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> it was like, it was 89 yesterday. This is the season where you forget your jacket. You have no idea where your jacket is because yeah. you wore it this morning, and then it's not and then who cold knows? in the yeah. afternoon. Exactly. Yeah, and, and bad <laughs> bad news, you know. But I, I tell the same story. I used to do uh, – me and my wife used to have a saltwater fish, mm-hmm. fish tank when we first got married, 55-gallon, and they had warned me because the, the reef is extremely consistent. And they had said a two-degree difference in that tank in 24 hours will kill all those fish. They're used to being in one of the most consistent, right, the consistent environments in the environments world. There is, yeah. So jump a little bit forward to whiskey. Scotch, in, in Scotland, they've got 40 to 60-ish. Mm-hmm. That's the whole year. Right. We're going to have more variants than they get all year <laughs> in one between day. yesterday and <laughs> yeah, tomorrow. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we have that like 30, 40 times a year. We have mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40-degree switches in 24 hours, right? We have a whole chunk of the year, both in fall and spring, where it's 48 in the morning and 78 in the yep. afternoon. Mm-hmm. So think about what that's doing, right? The wood's swelling up, it's and then it's squeezing, and it's, it's just doing this. Yes. So it's easy to get color and wood, which com- sometimes comes along with leather, spice, those things. Mm-hmm. These barrel effects, tannin, that's easy. Texas, no problem. Uh, do you guys know uh, Smooth Ambler? John Little is a buddy of mine, Smooth Ambler out of uh, West Virginia, I think. Yeah, I'm not um, familiar. Are you? But... We've been pouring side by side, and I've got something that's like, you know, a little bit over two years, and he's got like five-year-old weeder right next to it that is, you know, looks like the looks like that. Yeah, super it's pale. like, oh, man, screw you guys. It's not fair. Um, but I think the trick in Texas, and especially we've, we've spent a lot of, and we still spend a lot of time trying to figure out, there's so many other things that go into having a balanced and mature product other than just getting wood. So we've played with pitching rates, entry proof, uh, pretty much any facet, any, any parameter that's not the barrel, everything else that we can do so that by the time you're done, all the other things that should be there in a nice, mature, developed, grown-up product is also there, not just mm-hmm. like, cool, we got a bunch of wood. Um, but it's a trick. I mean, it feels like a puzzle piece. But the fun thing is, like I was saying earlier, no one's done it. It's, right. we're, we're figuring right. this out as we go. You're making the history. I love right that. Now. And yeah. Uh, which, yeah, it's wide open. What's your favorite in your lineup? I mean, if Desert Island got into my head, I, yeah. I would probably always go with single malt because I'm a single malt guy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I that like was, the rye a lot. That was what kind of got you into whiskey in the first place. Right. right? It's kind of full circle. That's. Mm-hmm. I think I have to go back to that. Just a little bit of loyalty there. But yeah, I like. I mean, I like everything we do. What is the retail on the single malt? The single malt. Uh, I want to say it's around sixty-five, something like that. Not bad. Not bad. Mm-hmm. For yeah. one hundred six. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, this has certainly been uh, interesting and educational and delicious, and uh, we really appreciate you uh, bringing your whiskeys and 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 talking uh, uh, talking spirits yeah. and stuff with us today. This has been a lot of fun, Jerry. Yeah, man. Thank you Thanks very for much. Us. Yeah. Um, want to uh, remind everyone that we are uh, back again next Thursday with show number one thirty-five, and I believe. Uh, let me just check my calendar here real quick so I don't say the wrong thing 
Uh, oh no, I, I'm I'm gonna have to hold off on telling you what next week's about because it's not confirmed. But uh, but hopefully we'll have hopefully we'll have a really good week next week, and we got a lot of great things coming up in the next month or so on the show. So we're looking forward to that, including being back at uh, B&B with our buddy Jeremiah uh, very very soon. So uh, thanks to B&B Butchers and Restaurant for uh, sponsoring the show. They're available in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth and at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston, as well as B&B Lemon across the street. Um, Jared, uh, kudos to you for guy. Uh, I'm actually just amazed the way that you described the the origins of the company mm-hmm. and how quickly you were putting out whiskey of this quality. It's just uh, it's really remarkable. Well, if you find some really early bottles, don't you know? I'll trade you out for some <laughs> newer Fair. stuff because uh, I feel like when I look every once in a while, we find some in the wild, and yeah. uh, it's. Uh, People that stuck with us and believed in us from that early stage were just being very generous. Well, you have to be uh, you have to be really proud of what you yeah. have going on right yeah. now. So, so thank you very much again for being on the show, and we appreciate it. We'd love to have you back again soon. And uh, uh, I guess we'll close out just by offering cheers, cheers everybody. Cheers, cheers. Thanks. Have a great week, my friends. Awesome. <laughs> Funny we were talking about nostalgia. I, it's so weird to have all these. I don't know how old he is. I've got all these friends that are good. 15, 25 or 26, Adam.